welcome to Bangor Community Church Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed today as you hear the Word of God. Well, good morning, church. That was a, a powerful time in the presence of God this morning in that worship. You know, might have been a wee bit nervous speaking for the first time, but uh, just to be in the presence, that common presence of God fills you with strength, fills you with hope, fills you with knowledge of who you are. You know, my word, I think I'm ready. <laughs> you know, it's an honor to be able to speak with you all this morning. Um, Pastor Karen came to me, I think, about three weeks ago and, and asked me, um, I'd, I'd just like you to speak. How do you feel about that? And I managed to dodge that one, I think, didn't I? I think I give every excuse under the sun. Oh, I have to set the, the stage up for PA. Uh, uh, it's Christmas. We've got so many practices on. I don't think I'm going to have time. Um, so I, I did think I dodged that. And then she came to me the week after and said, no, I, I'd like you to speak. Can you speak this Sunday? So I said I would go away and uh, I would pray, pray about it. And one thing I'm starting to learn is the only person that promotes in the kingdom is God. And I know that because Pastor Karen came and asked me, and I don't know, she'll know ourselves, if it was Holy Spirit led, or, or why, why did she see something in me? But God's seen, God's seen where I've been for the last couple of months. Because for the last couple of months, I've been trying to read uh, through uh, John, the book of John, and I've only got as far as chapter 2, verse 11, for the last three months, and I've stayed in John chapter 2, 1 to 11, and that's what I'm going to talk on today. So God knew, God knew how I had this word, and uh, we're going to bring it here today. So I'm going to bring, uh, I'm going to try and bring an encouraging word. I've titled this message, Starting Your Supernatural Ministry. And I say I'm going to look at this, this passage in John chapter 2. Uh, so before we turn there, uh, let's pray. So Abba Father, I pray today as we gather, to share your word, Lord, that you grant to each and every person that has ears, Lord, let them hear. Help me to bring an encouraging word, a word of truth, a word that builds and strengthens your church. Father God, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if we turn to John chapter 2, I think this is a passage we all know, um, and we'll just read. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says, to you do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn it from the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, 
Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, the inferior, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and, the man, and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So that's the passage that we're going to look at today. Now for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm an engineer by trade. So I, I've, I work in maintenance, maintenance of machinery. So I, I'm, I'm a jack of all trades. So there's electrical, mechanical, uh, pneumatics, uh, electronics, hydraulics, and then all the computer stuff that you need to know these days. Um, so that's my that's that's my mindset, and that's always been my training uh, and the way my mind thinks. And that's the way I just w- sort of want to want to break that break that down uh, whenever I'm studying the Word and what God's spoken to me whenever I've read this pas- passage. Because if you're if you're like a man, um, the way men think, we're I gotta know how something works to be able to fix it, and it's the same. I find this in my uh, spiritual walk. I, I want to know. I, I need to know how does this work? How does that work? So I can join all the dots together. Um, so uh, in order to be uh, a good maintenance engineer, you have to be able to understand a few uh, principles like electrical theory. So here we go. Electrical electrical theory, a basic building block that every potential electrician must understand from the start. Electrical theory is important to understand the function and operation of electrical equipment to ensure proper installation and to complete tasks such as troubleshooting electrical systems and testing. And you also have to have a certain skill set. So you have to be able to work under pressure. I'm feeling a wee bit of pressure now, actually. but. you have to have good verbal and written communication skills, uh, re- relevant te- technical knowledge, pro- problem-solving skills, efficiency, uh, and most of all, you have to be a good team worker because we work together as a team and, and things. So why am I telling you all this? I'm just trying to give you a little background of me and my makeup, you know, because we're we're all part of the church, but we're all individual. We're all individual stones. So right, I'm giving you that understanding where my brain, so my brain's thinking computer manuals, technical drawings, pipes that are connected, things like that. So let's dive in. Are you ready? Okay. So for me, there's no better way about starting your ministry or looking about starting your ministry than looking when Jesus started his. And this is the passage that we're reading in. In this passage, um, Jesus and and the disciples they're invited to the wedding in Cana. And the mother of Jesus is also there. And we read that it says they ran out of wine. So I'm thinking with my brain, I've got questions here. How did they run out of wine? Or why did they run out of wine? Now, one thing I've learned, uh, it's, it's been great for my walk, is it's good to ask questions when you're, when you're studying God's Word. It's good to have questions. And I've, I've read this before, so I'm just going to read this out. Hopefully this makes sense. Questions raised with an attitude of mistrust lead to unbelief. Questions raised in an atmosphere of trust lead to revelation. So I know God. I understand God. I trust God. I've got that relationship with God. So through that comes revelation. 
You know, the, the other side of that, if you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord, you have an attitude of mistrust because there's no, there's no uh, relationship there. So if I say that God can heal you, I don't believe you God can heal you. What's God ever done? Look at the state of the world. So there's the, the unbelief that comes in. Now, um, if we're looking at this passage, there's some, instru- in, in, uh, some interesting facts, and it's about like they're at a wedding. And I've chatted with a, a, a few members in the church about this because it's great when men get together and they talk about the Bible. And that's all I've done this year when I've got together with certain men and we've talked about certain things and, and they've excited me from what their revelation has been and my re- revelation chatting with them. So um, I discovered this film called um, Before the Wrath and uh, it talks about the, the wedding and, and the type of wedding, especially a Galilean wedding. So that's... That's my understanding from this, but I just want to make pull out a few uh, a few things from that. And so, um, there's a few things. Whenever there was a wedding in the, in, the, in those days in the round Cana, so the father of the groom and the groom went, and they went and met the bride and the bride's father, and they met in a public place, and the father of the groom came with a sum of money. They made the proposal. They give it to the, they give it to the, the bride's father, not to buy the bride, but as an act to say, here's, here's my wealth. If anything happens to my, my son, uh, you're going to have enough money to, to, your daughter's going to be okay. So it's like a, like, it's life insurance sort of type of thing, you know, she's going to be looked after. And then once that agreement was reached, that was it. Bride went one way and the groom went the other. But the, the, the groom and the father went away to prepare their house. So they went away to prepare their house because the bride was going to come. So they had to go and expand their house. And they also had to go and prepare for the feast. And this is, you can see where my mind's working here, hopefully. So I'm going, right. So normally when they have the wedding feasts in, in that culture, it's a couple of days long. You know, so I'm going, okay, they've just made the arrangement. They've took themselves off. They're going to prepare. They're going to meet with the market suppliers. They're going to get all the food. They're going to get all, all the supplies for the wedding feast. Sometimes this could take a, a few weeks and a few months. So I'm sort of saying, well, okay, so they've got plenty of time to prepare, so they're going to have all the amount of wine for everybody in the feast. So I know I'm talking a lot about the wedding feast, and that's not really my topic for today, but it's just where God has led me when I was reading, the, reading these scriptures. And again, I always have questions when I read that, but we're, we're, we're reading these with the, the questions of, I want to find out more revelation, not of why, why did this happen? So another, another thing, whenever uh, I was preparing for this, I was like, you know, this, this is God. Because if you look at what we've been speaking about over the last number of weeks, Pastor Karen's been talking on the Holy Spirit. The last time she spoke, we talked about being the uh, the virgins ready with their oil, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we were talking about how the church is the bride. So the church is the bride and the bridegroom is Christ. So therefore, the father of the bride is Father God. And I said this is not the, the parable of the wedding feast that's mentioned in, in Matthew or Luke. But I just draw a few similarities for that, so hopefully I'll, I'll pull it together later on. 
But back to running out of wine. So here's some of my questions. If the father makes a decision when the wedding takes place, why is he not heard for all the guests? Was there just too many guests that the father did not account for? Another custom of the, the Galilean wedding is that the father would go out and he would sound the, the trumpet call at night. Um, and he would go through the town and then everybody that heard the trumpet call knew the wedding was going to take place. So everybody would get their things and then they would come. And um, when they would come to the when they would come to the, wed the, the wedding feast, the father would go and collect a bride, come back to the father's house for the wedding feast, and then it was the father's discretion. At some point, he would close the door. There's no more guests. So my question then is, they've run out of wine. They must have had too many guests. So if they've had too many guests at the wedding, did the father forget to close the door? Now, as we, as we jump back into John, it says... Jesus' mother tells him that they have run out of wine. His response, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this could have been a simple question of a mother to son, simply asking him, Jesus, they've, they've run out of wine. Can you just nip down to the shops and go and get some more? But uh, there's no doubt that there's a problem here. This is, the, this is one of the other points I want to make. They've run out of wine, and, and the, the reason that... Um, Jesus' mother is, is so concerned. I think it's actually a, could possibly be a family member when they're at, at their wedding feast. And in that culture, if you're at a feast and you're going to have all this stuff provided and they've run out of wine, that's going to bring great shame and and uh, dishonor to that family. We've just it's like imagine inviting everybody to your house for Christmas dinner and saying, "Oh, there's no turkey left." <laughs> that wouldn't be good, you know. So. Mary's pointing out that facts. But I, I love this. I love this. Jesus is always kingdom focused. He's always pointing to the future. He's always given the glimpse of what's to come. And he says, my hour has not yet come. I'm not ready to re reveal myself as a Messiah. This is not my wedding feast. I don't have to provide for the feast. So this is just my engineering brain, just trying to work out the cause and the problem. Uh, the Passion Translation puts that same verse as this. My dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Wow. Now, uh, verse 6 is fascinating to me. Also, as I look at through this, uh, this text, and it brings some sort of contents to the, the statement and, and the scripture just above. It says that there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of pur purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So again, here's some, of my, some more of my questions. Why are there six water pots? So if you look at that and if you, if you study scripture and stuff, there's, oh, it's, it's just powerful. There's so many tools, just like how I would use manuals to do the electrical side of things. There's there's systems. There's there's, there's tons of things uh, hidden in here, and and one of those things um, is numbers. So it says there were six large water pots. Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner manner of purification for the Jews. They contained twenty or thirty gallons of piece. 
So the water pots were there for purification. So the waters were there for the purification. So in Jewish culture, if you were going to come and you were going to have your meal, then you would, you would wash with the water before, you, before and after the meal. So I'm saying, right, okay, there's six water pots here. That, mean, that means, right, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people going to come to this wedding feast. So I'm sort of thinking of plenty of water, six, six water pots, but they've run out of wine. So they've got plenty of water for the, for the religious part, but they don't have anything there for the, they've run out for the feast. But that same numbers are, are great. Um, everything has meaning. And I sort of, one of the points that uh, I wanted to make was like, I, I, I love this, that the fact that the, like, here's, this is a, probably a religious family if there's six water pots, because they're saying, they're saying to themselves, look, we, we're, we're religious people. We, we, uh, we want to go by the law. We understand what the law is. So I want everybody that's at our wedding to know and, and carry out, you know, the, 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 the washing with the water before the meal. As Gaina said, uh, six water pots, everything the Bible has meaning. So, so the number six, I was looking this up, the number six in the Bible represents man. Man was made on the sixth day in Genesis, so that's, that's where we get that from. So here we have the religious system of the day, the water pots, um, where man needs to be cleansed from sin in order to eat before the wedding feast. And, the, and here the house is more focused on providing the water for the guests, but Jesus is about to perform his first miracle, transforming the water into wine. And I just love this about how Jesus is always foretelling in the Bible and what he reveals, even from just one passage. It's, to me, he's saying, here, I'm going to take a religious system, this, these six water pots, things that, that the world is saying, this is what you have to do to be cleansed from sin. And he says, and I'm, he was foretelling what he was going to do. He's going, I'm going to shed my blood. No longer will you have to live in shame, shame of sin, shame of running out of wine. And no longer will you need to be washed in water, but you're going to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. So he, even here at this wedding, he's taking the religious system and saying, I'm going to do away with the, with the religious system, and I'm going to shed my blood by turning the water into wine. And... You know, it goes on to say um, that the only people that knew that were the servants that he sent to fill the water pots and himself. He didn't turn around and say to everybody, look, I'm doing this. So to me, it was like a little, you know, here we are. I'm, I'm starting my ministry and I'm going to tell you everything that's going to be done, basically, in this, this fact of changing uh, water into wine. So uh, my thoughts again, back to thinking, I'm... You know, we look at this miracle not with the physical eye, with our physical eyes, because we all know, okay, water in the wine is okay. It's a miraculous thing if it's water, but you know, we're looking at this with the with the physical eyes, what what it means to the world. But if we look at this with um, spir spiritual eyes, Jesus could have easily provided the wine for the feast. He could have just, there you go, there's wine. But you know, he was just he's foretelling the future. He's, he's prophesying through these through these six water pots. He's always trying to reveal the Father's heart. Remember um, when Jesus was in front of Pontius Pilate, what did they, what did they all shout, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They shouted, crucify him. 
here's the religious system, just saying to God, or saying to Jesus, we're going to crucify you, we're going to shed your blood. And here we are back at the water pots where we have the religious system, which is washing yourself with water, that he turns in the blood that is saying, yeah, the religious system is going to crucify me and you're going to reap the benefits in the way. Powerful, powerful. This sort, of question, question, this sort of answers my question from earlier on. Were there, just, were there just too many guests that the Father did not account for? Did the Father forget to close the door? Remember, this is the start of Jesus' ministry, and he's showing us the Father's heart. So at the start of Jesus', at the start of Jesus ministry, he wants to save the whole world. So the door's always going to be open. The door's going to be open for all the sinners, for all those that, that want to come to the wedding feast. Um, they're going to be allowed in. The Father's, the Father's not going to close the door. He's keeping it open. Remember, this is just the start, not the end when Jesus is coming again. This is just the start. So then he's saying to me, look, let everybody come in. Everybody come in. Come, come from the feast. But it's also saying to me as well, they've just got six water pots. The religious system is focusing on religious things. And religion can't supply everything that everybody needs at that feast. The only person that can supply that is Jesus. And that, to me, that's just showing the Father's heart. Whatever your need is, whatever, whatever, whatever you need, don't look to religious systems. Look to the connection. Understand the Father's heart. And Jesus can provide everything. Now, of course, I'm an engineer, so I understand a bit of physics and stuff. So, you know, my biggest question is, how did he turn the water into wine? So it says in uh, verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water, water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And, they, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. <clears throat> now we know from this passage that there needed to be a few things a few things needed to be in place in order for this miracle to happen. One, there needed to be a need. So I, I in my head I've put there was shame and dishonor on the households because they'd run out of wine. There needed to be resources. So there was the water pots, the water, the religious system of the day. And then there also needed to be obedience, servants that were willing to go and um do the work. But none of this to me really explains, just how, explains to me how Jesus changed the water into the wine. He, it didn't, he didn't pray. You know, we're, we're, he didn't pray. He didn't declare, I declare this water now wine. He just simply made a command. He just simply instructed the servants to do a task, and they did it. And then, to prove it, he, they told him to take it to the master of the ceremonies, to, 
to test the miracle, to confirm the miracle. And what did he say? He says, you, you've kept the, the good wine until now. So looking at things with the, with the spiritual, with my spiritual eyes, I go, well, I know the Father's there because we know the Father's heart and I know Jesus is there because he's the one that done the miracle. But where's the Holy Spirit in this? So this is, this is my thinking. So I'm going, it's not mentioned. But then if you look at, at, at the way you can study, water is often referred to as the Word of God because it acts as a cleansing agent. But in the spiritual, it's also referred to as the Holy Spirit. If we look at John 7, 37 to 39, this expands on this. And lo and behold, when I go here, it's another scripture that's related to a feast. It says, at John 7, 37 to 39, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood out, stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I've put in brackets yet, my hour has not yet come. Sound familiar? So the Holy Spirit's not there because his hour hadn't come. Now the Holy Spirit highlighted some words in this passage and it took me off on a completely different tangent. And it was, draw some out. That was Jesus' commandment. It was, draw some out. So, I don't know if, if you're aware, and uh, hermeneutics is like the study of Bible and uh, of the Bible, and there's certain laws and practice, practices you can do, and there's there's this law that's called um, the law of first mention, um, and it, I'll t I'll explain what that says. The, the description or the for that is the law or principle or rule of first mention is a guideline that's that some people use for studying scripture. The law of first mention says that to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find the first place in Scripture that the word or doctrine is revealed and study that passage. So, again, this is me, manual mindset engineer. I'm going to go and look there. So that, whenever I looked that up, uh, um, that brought me to Genesis chapter 24. In this chapter... This tells the story of how Abraham goes about finding a bride for Isaac. So again, all the scriptures as I'm jumping about are, are, are moving to. They're all related to a bride or a, a wedding or finding, finding a bride. Wow. And, and I'm just finding this all just from, from reading 11 verses in John chapter 2. I'm like, whoo, this is great. But I don't have time. I don't think I have time. No, I definitely don't have time to go into Genesis chapter 24. But if I give you a, a summary, hopefully this will this will be a good summary. Bear in mind, I think it's 64 verses, 67 verses. It's a big chapter. But um, I'll give you an outline. I'll probably read this because it will be better and then I'll understand. Abraham, the father of many nations, 
sends out his servant to find a bride for his son Isaac. The servant took all of Abraham's wealth on ten camels and went to the city of Nahor to look for a wife. Now we know that Abraham's servant was named Eliezer and he was under strict instructions to find a wife that was from Abraham's lineage. So uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the passage, the servant goes to a well. He, he prays to God. He says, um, God, um, let, this, this, let this bride for Isaac be the one that comes. Let's down our, our, our pitcher into the well, draws it out, gives him water, and then waters the ten camels. So that's, that's Eliezer's prayer. And lo and behold, out comes faithful Rebecca. Rebecca comes, gives him water, and then feeds his ten, ten camels. And he knows that this is the bride for, for Isaac. It's confirmed. Again, another studying tool, me being that engineer. We've got to look at names. Names in the Bible have meaning. If we look at Abraham... Abraham is what? Father of many nations. If we look at Eliezer, he, his name means help of my God. If we look at Rebecca, Rebecca's name is servant of God. So if you study this passage with the lens, Abraham is the father. Isaac is the son. The father's servant is Eliezer, the Holy Spirit. Then Rebecca, who's the bride, is us, the church. Now hopefully I haven't lost you there, but the point is focusing on Eliezer. He's the servant. And this is what I'm trying to relate back to the water in the passage of John chapter 2. See, Eliezer's, Eliezer's role as Abraham's servant meant that he had everything. He had everything that Abraham had. He had control of Abraham's wealth. He could give this away, give that away. He, he was in total control. So he had all, this is a servant, just a servant, had all the power and all authority of the father. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? But again, here's a servant. He's trusted with everything that Abraham had. Obviously, he was a wise man. He knew everything. He was pretty, pretty competent in things. So he was tasked with Abraham. Abraham said, you need to go and find a bride for my son Isaac, but it must be from Abraham's lineage, from his family. So again, my, my mind's sort of going, well, why didn't he just stop at someone in the town and just go, I'm looking for... Um, I'm looking for the relatives of Abraham. Can you tell me where they are? Go knock on the door, open the door, pick the prettiest girl. That'll do you, right? There's the bride done, simple, you know? And I said, well, God, what are you trying to say? But it's the Holy Spirit. We're looking at this, we're looking at that passage in Genesis 24 where the servant of God is the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He, he, he sits at a well, prays to God, and looks for that revelation that the bride's going to come and looks for the con confirmation. And what's that confirmation? The drawing 
from the water, the drawing from the whale. Now, there's tons of stuff. There's tons and tons and tons of stuff in Genesis 24. And um, so I don't really want to go into it because I want to get back to, to John chapter 2. But there's, we all know, if we've read that passage before, with Rebecca being the church, we understand what Rebecca did. She um, Not only did she just draw water on like for Eliezer, but she drew, drew water for the ten camels. So I think if, I think it's something like one camel can drink something like 40 gallons or 50 gallons. So when Rebecca done that task, it was a mammoth task. It was, it was a lot of work to feed those camels. So we understand if that's related to the church, you know, that's us. We've got a lot of work to do. You can read on in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 24, some of the things that Eliezer does. Once he's understood that um, Rebecca is the bride for Isaac, he gives gifts to Rebecca, and he also gives gifts to Re- uh, Rebecca's family. Now, I'm just going to skip over this, but please bear with. Remember, Eliezer's the Holy Spirit. He's in control of all the Father's wealth, power. Just met the bride. And Rebecca is the church, so he's given gifts. He's given gifts to the bride. We're the bride. So he's given wealth. It says about putting on a nose ring and stuff. I know there's there's other meanings in that, but the point I'm trying to make is that he gives gifts. But but he also then gives gifts to Rebecca's family. And I think if you if you look at that, there's a there's a breakdown of the word when it says it gives precious gifts. Um, one of those things, instead of thinking like it's stones or precious metals and stuff, it's actually fruit. It's, it's, it's broken down in the, in the Hebrew as, as fruit. So he doesn't actually give wealth and stuff. All the wealth and the jewels and all that goes to the, goes to the Rebecca, which is the church. The gifts, the fruit, goes to others that encounter in that family. The sister and the brother, I think it is. So that's talking about when we have gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, they're gifts, and we have that power and that wealth, but the gifts are for others, for the others that come in contact with us. But back to John chapter 2, because we can draw some similarities. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and the servants filled the water pots. That's the church. We knew it was a big task, so the servants had to be there. The church had to be there. They had to go and fill the water pots. Fill them to the brim. Fill them to the brim. Not just fill them. They're filled to the brim. So that's saying you need to be filled. You need to be filled because Jesus wants to draw. The Holy Spirit wants to draw from us. But if we're not filled. So look what happens when the church serves the Father's will. And draw from the Holy Spirit, performing the things that Jesus has instructed. So the servants filled the water pots. Jesus drew the water. The water was turned into wine. And what happened? The guests received the fruit and the benefits of the actions. I said I'm an engineer. So... 
specifically maintenance, so I'm always looking for faults. I'm looking for faults and ways to fix it. And using some, some sort of those analogies, just like we've used the analogies of Abraham being the father, um, the Holy Spirit being Eliezer, the servant. You know, I look at things. God, God the Father, he's the design. Jesus is the teacher or the instructor. And the Holy Spirit is needed to fix the fault. But remember, it's still the church that has to carry out the work. It's still the church that has to go and fill the water pots, draw from the whale, feed the camels. And I think that's, that's my point that I'm trying to make. And hopefully, I think I got through that. Did I get through that? Didn't lose anyone. As an engineer that fixes fault, it's easy to spot the faults in the church. You can, you can see it if you look. If you look with the eye, with spiritual eyes. And, and I've heard, I heard this passage and I had, to, I had to write it down. It's from an American pastor called Eric Gilmore. And to me, and I know because this has been the fault of me and my walk with God. He says this. The problem is when we place other people's voices above his. If we are more knowledgeable about what we are teaching than what Christ is saying to you, there is a problem. What is he saying? What is Jesus saying? That's the only thing that can give life. When people teach you, it's only potential life. When Jesus teaches you, it's installed or instilled life. If you just increase your information, you'll get no revelation. Now, I've got to remember, revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. It says that in 1 Corinthians 2.10. Revealed to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. So I think that's, I think in closing, that's what my, my question is. My question's not to God. My question's to you. Are you drawn from the Holy Spirit? Are, pe are people seeing the fruit and are being drawn to the kingdom? You know, we've been talking on the series about the Holy Spirit for the last number of weeks. We're moving into a new year where we're going to go into some teaching, better than me, on the Holy Spirit. But I just thought, anything with the Holy Spirit is supernatural. Just like that water being turned into wine. It had to be the Holy Spirit because it's supernatural. Are you ready to start your supernatural ministry today? Are you ready to draw from the Holy Spirit? As we close off the year of 2020, we look forward with great expectation and hope for 2021. But are we ready to draw on that Holy Spirit and expand the, the kingdom? And remember, the whole world, the whole world is invited to this feast. The whole world is invited to come to the church. They need a couple of things. They need to know. We, the church, have got to get to work. 
not in a religious con context, not like the water pots where we need to say, come on, you need to act this way, wash yourself with this, blah, blah, blah. No, we all need Jesus. We need that blood. We need to understand that concept of that. But it's amazing, and you can pull so many, go off on so many tangents, but when they, when, when they go to the, the master of the feast and they say, you've drew the best wine now, to me that's saying, come on church, we're the best, we're the best now. And in closing, I, I have another scripture, and this scripture, the scripture puzzled me. It puzzled me when I looked at members of the church and the way they reacted and whenever you talked to them and, and whenever they made some statements. And the scripture's Revelation 22, 17. And it's another bridal scripture. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. On one half of the scripture, it's saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, the second coming, we want to go, come. But it's also saying, come, anybody that doesn't know Jesus, come. Come, you can freely, you can freely partake of this, this life water. And it's like, I'm back in John 2. I'm back in John 2 where I'm saying, hold on a minute, the door's open. Every, God wants the whole world to be saved. But if you if you go into the, the wedding feast and the, the meaning of that wedding, just like back in back in uh, the Old Testament, whenever the world, world was flooded and the, the the door of the ark was left open, who shut the door? Who shut who closed the door on the ark? God. God closed the door. It wasn't Noah's responsibility. Just like in this wedding feast, it's the father that's going to close the door and say, no one else can come in. No one else can partake in this. And I would listen to pastor sometimes. That sounded wrong. Didn't listen to pastor. Listen to pastor all the time. Sorry. Sometimes pastor would say, come Lord, come Lord. And here's me. I'm only starting out my walk with Jesus. And I'm going, oh, but Lord, I'm praying for my kids. My, my, I'm waiting for my kids. I want to raise my kids up in the kingdom. I understand who I am in Christ. I understand um, that I'm a, a child of God. I understand that I have all these blessings. I, I understand that I can pull heaven down from earth and live a, a, a wonderful life. But yet, I want Christ to come too. And I struggle. I struggle with that. But that's not spiritual. That's the flesh. I have to be a servant of God. I want to please my Father. So again, I'm just going to reiterate what I was trying to say today. And are you drawn from the Holy Spirit? It's okay to know religion. It's okay to know the Father's heart. It's okay to understand Jesus' teaching. But who's the helper? Who's the tools? Back to fixing the faults. We need the Holy Spirit. We need His revelation, His understanding, where we don't just do the simple thing and go and knock on Abraham's relations and ask. 
just need one of your daughters. Led by God, led by that connection, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's just powerful. So I think that's me. Hopefully you got something from that today. It sounded a lot better in my head. And probably if you read these notes that I have, it will be a lot better. But you know, I said, when a few people had told, I said, would you pray for me because um, I'm speaking on Sunday. And I says, oh, like I'm, I feel like I'm breaking new ground. But I know this is not for me. And I know I've used a sort of pun where it's like Jesus is starting his ministry. I'm not saying I'm starting the ministry. We are all called to start our ministry. That doesn't mean that this is my calling up here on the mic. My calling is to honor the Holy Spirit, honor God, honor Jesus. So let's pray and we'll close. So Father God, we just thank you. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for those willing vessels that are willing to, to fill themselves to the brim for your purpose. Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for that revelation that revelation that comes from feeding on your word. Lord, and as we, as we come from this, this year that, that has been a year like no others, we come prepared, preparing ourselves, ready for this next year. This next year is going to be an awesome year. And Father, we just thank you for that fresh wine, that new wine, that revelation truth. Father, we just thank you for the, the gifts of the Spirit that are going to be activated in this church, Lord. And we just bless each and every individual here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We look to God that he will direct your steps and blessings through this week. For more information, visit us at bangercommunitychurch.co.uk or find us on Facebook.